Section 7 of The Luck of the Dudley Grahams by Alice Calhoun Haynes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Colleen McMahon. Monday, January 5th. Ernie wore her new dress to school this morning. She has been working hard on it ever since Christmas time, and the result is really very creditable. The girls will never believe I made it myself, Elizabeth, she remarked, standing proudly before the mirror while I buttoned her up the back. It actually fits! And look at these box pleats! Could anything be more stylish? Don't you think I'm clever, honey? Now don't you? Indeed, Ernie's spirits rose to such a bubbling point, what with the openly expressed admiration of the girls, and her own inward conviction of merit, that she found it impossible to keep them corked up during school hours, and so got into trouble, poor child. Under the circumstances, it is doubly hard, for ever since September, when a visiting board, as Ernie persists in calling him, was so impressed with the intelligent answers he obtained to his questions in the sixth grammar grade of school number 47, that he was moved to offer five dollars worth of books to be awarded as a prize at the end of the term to the pupil whose general average in attendance conduct and scholarship should be highest her record has been impeccable i simply must come out ahead she has declared over and over again it is too good a chance to miss five dollars worth of books elizabeth think of it and if i should get em i'll choose the kind that will be appropriate to every age and gender and then i'll put em away and give them as birthday presents to the family during the year isn't that a scheme so spurred on by this proud ambition ernie has done wonderfully even succeeding in subduing her mercurial temperament to such a degree that there is not a better girl in all the school than me and me hated rival lulu jennings as she was moved to confess last saturday night this aforesaid rival is a creature according to ernie and her chum mary hobart she has shifty little eyes a thin blonde pigtail and no shape to her legs at all also she smells of cheap perfume yet these imperfections might be forgiven her if only she were what the girls call straight i've seen her myself says downright mary with an open geography hidden under a handkerchief in her lap during recitation she tattles too and i believe she'd copy off her own grandmother if only she got the chance naturally such sins are not easily forgiven and there is a decided opinion among the girls that at all hazards lulu jennings must be prevented from winning the prize feeling runs high on the subject she's smarter than all the rest of us put together in some ways they admit you can never foresee what trick she's going to play next but you are clever too ernie in a way we like better so keep up the good fight all right promised ernie with a weary little sigh i don't mind the studying so much but i must confess i'm tired of being a plaster saint and alas to-day which was composition day the poor little plaster saint fell it happened in this wise the subject assigned to the sixth grade was benjamin franklin ernie who takes naturally to writing finished her essay as usual before any of the other girls and then just for the fun of the thing and as an outlet i suppose to the general ebullition of vivacity caused by her new frock she started in to write a second theme in verse this time making it as nonsensical and ridiculous as ever she could as soon as she finished she passed the lines to mary hobart her seatmate who began to read and giggle at the same moment till finally she was so overcome by mirth that she was obliged to put her head into her desk and pretend to look for a slate pencil 
Lulu Jennings, who sits directly across the aisle from Mary, observed these demonstrations. "'What's the matter?' she whispered. And Mary thoughtlessly passed her Ernie's effusion, proud, I suppose, to prove to the enemy how clever her chum really was. Lulu cast one quick glance down the lines. Then, taking up a pencil, she scrawled the query along the margin. "'Why don't you ask to read it aloud?' and handed the paper back to Ernie. "'I will if you like,' returned Ernie with a chuckle, supposing, of course, that the suggestion was only part of the fun. "'All right, I dare you to,' whispered Lulu. Quick as a flash, Ernie was out of her seat. She has never been known to take a dare yet, and Lulu counted upon this weakness, we feel sure. "'May I read my composition, Miss Horton?' asked Ernie. There is nothing unusual in the request, since any girl who considers her theme extra good is accorded this privilege. Miss Horton looked up from the exercises she was correcting. Certainly, if you think it will interest us, Ernestine, she said. Mary Hobart pulled at Ernie's skirt, shook her head, and motioned imperiously to the first composition, which still lay upon the desk. But Lulu's little eyes flashed the mean message, I knew you would not dare. And without a moment's hesitation, Ernie, in a clear, serious voice, began to read. Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin was, when a boy, his mother's delight and his grandmother's joy. He would chase after lightning whenever he spied it, because he declared that he wanted to ride it. His hair was quite straight, but his nose he could curl, and so people thought him a dear little girl. There was a general shout from the class, while Miss Horton rapped sharply on the desk with her ruler. Silence, she commanded. Proceed with your composition, Ernestine. And Ernie, with a rosy and rather abashed countenance, was about to begin the second stanza, when the door opened and Miss O'Connell, the principal, entered the room. Miss O'Connell is a very imposing person and endowed with a rather high temper. All the girls are afraid of her. She stood for a moment looking majestically about. What was the cause of the outburst of disorder I heard just now? She finally asked Miss Horton. Ernestine Graham is reading her composition on Benjamin Franklin, answered Miss Horton, really anxious to shield Ernie, it would seem. There was something in it that struck the girls as funny. So I should judge, answered Miss O'Connell. It might be well for me to hear the rest of the composition myself. You may proceed, Ernestine. Poor Ernie. Her knees were literally clapping together with horror beneath the elegant box pleats of her new plaid skirt. The thought of her cherished record assailed her. She turned a piteous, sickly smile upon Miss O'Connell, who met it with a glance of adamant. Evidently no quarter was to be expected from that direction. So, steadying her voice as well as she could, Ernie began to read again. This time you might have heard a pin drop. Benjamin's father, a terrible man, kept in the closet a worn rattan. When Ben or his brothers did what was wrong, their father would chant them this horrible song. Run, run to my closet as quick as you can, and bring me my ratity tatity tan And with it I'll ratity tatity tan you, until with your eyes as you crises, boo-hoo! Ernie gasped for breath. Is that all? asked the inexorable Miss O'Connell. No, ma'am, answered Ernie plaintively, and spurred on by the recklessness of despair, she began the last stanza. So Ben and his brothers, they grew very good. They never stole nothing, not even their food but lived upon pickles and peanuts and paint, and when asked, are you hungry, replied, no, we ain't, but we'll take, if you give it, a wee bite of soap, and now they're all dead and in heaven, I hope. With a final hysterical giggle, Ernie dropped back into her seat. 
Miss O'Connell stood looking at her. What possessed you, she asked at last, to write such a composition as that? Have you no respect for your teacher? Have you no respect for your school? Have you no respect for me? Miss Horton, you may mark Ernestina failure in her conduct, and her English too. She will remain after school and rewrite her composition along more conservative lines. The class may now proceed with its studies, and Miss O'Connell swept from the room. Well, Ernie had had her little joke. Poor child, it was all she could do to blink back the mortified tears as she felt Mary Hobart's sympathetic hand in hers, and divined instinctively that the thoughts of every girl in the room were busy with her shattered record. I am sorry, Ernestine, said Miss Horton, not unkindly, as she took up her pencil and opened the portentous covers of the conduct book. Do you really think it was worthwhile? Lulu Jennings snickered, but quickly recovered herself with a prim pursing of the lips. Apparently, she was the one person in the room to experience any touch of satisfaction in the public downfall of the plaster saint, which speaks pretty well for Ernie's popularity, it seems to me. The mean sneak, declared Mary Hobart indignantly, some half hour later, to the little group of sympathizers who lingered in the schoolyard till Ernie should be released. It was all a plot, and to think that I should have helped to lead Ernie into it. Well, I'm more determined than ever that she shall win the prize. We mustn't let her feel too discouraged, girls. We mustn't. The poor silly darling. And now, lest you mistake me for a wizard, I will confess that Mary came home with Ernie after school. The two girls talked the excitement over as they set the table for dinner, while I stood in the kitchen doorway and listened, potato knife in hand, till I felt quite as if I had witnessed it all myself. And so I have set it down here though it is hard to snatch time on a Monday. Tuesday, January 6th. Oh dear, I am tired tonight. I have been ironing all day, and I'm only seventeen. Sunday, January 11th. You haven't any idea how poor we are. It is half funny and half terrible, trying to keep house for a family of six people on seven dollars a week. Just at first, it did not seem impossible. There was a false impetus, so to speak, coal in the cellar, coffee, oatmeal, flour, etc., in the kitchen cupboard. For a while, we were even able to keep up a semblance of our usual table, and Miss Brown did not seem to suspect. But she must find out soon. Will she leave us when she knows? What shall we do if she does? Each meal is a crisis. I grow quite white and shaky before sounding the bell. Mother still refuses to draw anything from the bank, and we can't borrow of Uncle George either, because he was so hateful after the Hancocks left, and said things about Father that it will be hard to forgive. If we had Hayes's salary, we might advertise the rooms more often, but as things stand it is impossible, on account of that dreadful dollar. Why did he have to lose so much money? Dear Hayes, when he had made such sacrifices to earn something just for us. Why did Mrs. Hudson have to go, and the Hancocks, too? Oh, I do try to be brave, but tonight I feel rebellious and worried. I don't dare go to bed, though Ernie has been asleep this last half hour. I wish I were more like her, hopeful and full of expedience. The one thing that will do this family any good, she remarked the other morning as she stood in the dining room window waiting for the postman to come down the block, is a legacy. I have given up all hope of the dump cart contract. It simply can't be found. 
but why shouldn't a rich relation of whom we've never heard die and leave us his wealth such things have been known to happen and now absurdly we are all expecting it even mother starts at the sound of the familiar whistle and some one of us rushes breathless to the door to glower through the letters that are handed in heaven knows why for we haven't any rich relation except uncle george i suppose it just shows how desperate we are saturday is payday and we younger ones have acquired the habit of gulping our breakfast on that particular morning and leaving the table as expeditiously as possible so as to give miss brown who is very delicate where money matters are concerned an early opportunity to settle will she do it will she say she is going to leave we whisper anxiously to one another as we hang over the basement banisters and hayes can't make up his mind to go downtown till he knows yesterday morning we had a dreadful fright miss brown came down a little late her expression was troubled almost severe when she put her pocket handkerchief into her lap we made sure that her purse was not concealed as usual among the folds may i be excused mother dear piped ernie though she had only just begun her oatmeal i want to go up to the nursery and sit with robin hayes and i followed as quickly as we could and then the waiting began it seemed as if mother and miss brown would never be done we could hear their voices in low earnest discussion gosh exclaimed hazard the game is up but it wasn't miss brown had had facial neuralgia during the night she was asking mother for remedies she could not make up her mind whether it would be wise to put off the shopping trip that she had planned her purse was with her as usual saved again and the funny thing is once we get those seven dollars we feel quite rich for a few hours mother and i what shall we have for tomorrow morning's breakfast one asks the other magnificently i notice that grapefruit are selling two for twenty-five cents scallops would make a nice change comes the cheerful reply grapefruit scallops and corn muffins not that we ever commit ourselves to any such extravagance but the little flight is exhilarating and the final compromise on oranges and fish cakes not too abrupt it is true we are fed from day to day like the sparrows if we can only wait and have patience i suppose things will come out right in the end and i said that i wanted to be good this year well i believe i could be on ten dollars more a week friday january sixteenth this afternoon a lady called to look at rooms she had a little girl with her perhaps a couple of years older than robin she said that she had been recommended to us by mrs hudson ernie let them in and galloped upstairs to tell mother you can imagine our excitement hush whispered ernie as she and i crouched behind the half-closed nursery door listening with all our ears she told me the location was what she wanted oh elizabeth elizabeth at that moment the lady swept her way downstairs the terms seem reasonable enough we heard her observe and the room is sunny and pleasant i should want a comfortable cot placed in it for lillian the little girl you have children of your own mrs graham then stopping in the lower hall is that an invalid chair she asked abruptly yes returned mother it belongs to my little son he is not at all well this winter and his trouble there was no hint of sympathy in the question hip complaint replied mother robin has not been strong since he was a baby in that case i am sorry but it will be impossible to engage the room came the unexpected reply lillian is a very sensitive child and naturally my first consideration 
I make it a rule to shield her from every depressing influence. Let me see, there are three other places on our list. If we hurry, we can make time to visit them this afternoon. Good day, Mrs. Graham. The door closed sharply on our prospective boarders. And this on a Friday, the bluest day in the week. Mother's face was quite white and stern as she came upstairs. If you will get dinner, Elizabeth, I'll stay with Robin, she said, and she took Bobsy in her arms and carried him tenderly to the big rocker in the window, while Ernie and I crept mouse-like from the room. One might have known she was a friend of Mrs. Hudson, remarked Ernie vindictively, as we reached the foot of the basement stairs. Depressing influence, indeed. I'd like to depress her precious Lillian for her. Oh, Ernie, I sighed, it would have meant fifteen dollars more each week. We were to have beefsteak for dinner. Mother had gone around earlier in the afternoon to a cheap little butcher shop. We can't afford our old tradesmen any longer, and bought two pounds, spending our last forty cents. There were four potatoes in the oven, a few beans on top of the stove, but no bread. Mother shan't be disturbed, I cried. I'll run around to the baker's myself and get a loaf. I'll say that I left my purse at home, which will be perfectly true, and, under the circumstances, eminently sensible, and that they can charge it. Keep an eye on the steak, Ernie, and the fire. I've just put on a couple of sticks of wood. All right, answered Ernie, from where she sat on the table, dejectedly swinging her legs and muttering over an open geography. I'll watch it. Yet, when I returned from my errand some few moments later, it was to find the kitchen full of smoke. In the middle of the floor pranced Ernie, frantically blowing upon a smutty and spluttering gridiron, while the red flames leapt hungrily through the open top of the stove. "'What have you done?' I cried, snatching the gridiron from Ernie's blackened fingers. "'That steak is burned to a cinder. It's Friday night. There isn't any more money. Do you realize what this means?' "'Oh, dear, oh, dear, I was bounding the British Isles,' wailed Ernie, "'and the fire didn't come up till all of a sudden everything began to blaze. "'Of course I realize, Elizabeth. Can't we scrape it or something?' "'No,' I answered, transferring the hopelessly charred bit of steak to the big blue platter. "'It is burned quite through, and tomorrow is Saturday. "'How can we expect Miss Brown to keep on paying seven dollars a week "'once she finds out that we're unable to feed her?' Then <laughs> chop off my head and boil it for her old dinner, sobbed Ernie, entirely overcome by this last unlooked-for disaster, for which she could not but hold herself responsible. Nobody'd miss it, about the house, I mean, and they used to eat such things once, in the British Isles. What is the matter? asked Mother, entering the kitchen at this moment with Robin's tray, and looking from one tragic-faced daughter to the other. Has anything new happened? The steak is burned, I explained briefly. There are only beans and four potatoes left for dinner. Chop off my head, reiterated poor little Ernie. I deserve it. I was bounding the British Isles and forgot to watch. I wish, I wish I'd never been born. And then it was that Mother rose, buoyantly, unexpectedly, as she can always be depended upon doing if only the situation is desperate enough. Never mind, darlings, she cried with an airy little laugh. Why, it's nothing but a beefsteak, after all. We'll buy another. Another? I gasped, as if Mother were contemplating the purchase of a diamond tiara. Another? wondered Ernie. Certainly, returned Mother, quite as though it were the most natural thing in the world she was proposing. And some pickles, because Miss Brown enjoys them, and perhaps some chocolate creams. 
but mother i remonstrated it's friday night we've spent our last penny you surely are not going to borrow of uncle george after the things he said no denied mother succinctly there can be no compromise on that score on the contrary we'll reap a little belated benefit from one of dear father's follies and she led the way to the library ernie and i following in a state of stunned but admiring bewilderment and selected a large handsomely bound volume from the lowest shelf of the old mahogany bookcase it is picturesque europe mother explained and your father paid six dollars for it because the agent was a young widow with pathetic blue eyes who assured him it would be of invaluable assistance in broadening hazard's mind hayes was two years old at the time and nobody has read it since but it is going to be of some use at last and help us to another dinner so she and ernie hustled into their things and hurried around the block to the little second-hand bookshop where father used to snoop in happy bygone days and when they returned ernie was quite beaming and rosy again for they brought three pounds of steak with them instead of two as well as a jar of pickles and a pound of chocolate creams which last was nothing more nor less than a blatant extravagance and put us all into uproarious spirits for the rest of the evening and though mrs hudson's friend was certainly horrid and it is hard to be so poor that the singeing of a beefsteak threatens dire calamity just think how splendid it is to have such a wonder of a mother yes hayes and i are agreed there are compensations in every lot end of section seven recording by colleen mcmahon